So we are in the very last message of this series that we've been calling Living a Life that makes a difference. We've been looking at the Old Testament character of Joseph, and you'll remember if you've been around here for this series, his story is found in the book of Genesis, chapters 37 through 50. And we've kind of been looking at Joseph's life story, and we've been kind of pulling out some lessons for us that really kind of shape up a roadmap for living a life that makes a difference. And we've used a definition that's gonna be on the screen so that you can see it again. It's the definition that's kind of framed this whole series for us. A person lives a life that makes a difference when he or she recognizes his or her God-given purpose and is committed to live out that purpose with God's help over a lifetime. And from that definition, we've kind of said that there are some components to a life that makes a difference, that when you put these components together, it's more likely that your life as it unfolds will actually make a difference for God. And so we've said that a life that makes a difference is about divine calling. Divine calling exists at that intersection, we've said, between your secondary calling, which is your personal sweet spot, right? Knowing who God made you to be, your personality, your passions, your abilities, and then spending most of your time doing that thing which God created you and designed you to do. And then as you're living out your personal sweet spot to fulfill your primary calling, which is the calling for all of us to make Disciples, And when we leverage our, our personal sweet spot to make disciples, that intersection between those two things, that's our divine calling. And that calling comes from God and every single person has it. Right? If you're wondering, am I called by God? The answer is yes, you are called by God. You're called by God to live out your unique design and as you're doing that, to make disciples. That's your calling. And we're all called by God to do that. We said that it also consists of personal commitment because once we know what God's called us to do, it's not like that the path just becomes smooth and everything becomes easy from that point forward. That would be really awesome, right? If you could just like find your calling and then life was a breeze. That would be really, really wonderful. We would probably have a full church Right? Every seat would be full multiple times on Sunday if it was just find your calling and then everything becomes easy in life. That's not the way it works. We find our calling and life is full of twists and turns. It has roadblocks and it has mountaintops, yes, but it has lots of valleys and there are detours and there are setbacks and even apparent failures and mistakes that we make along the way. And what that means is that if we're going to live out our calling to the end of our days, we actually have to have personal commitment. We have to actually dedicate ourselves, and it's not just a one-time thing. We have to dedicate ourselves over and over and over again to live out God's calling in our life. Because we, we veer off the path, and life takes twists and turns, and we feel like, are we really doing what God asked us to do? And we've got to stay committed to living out God's purpose. And then we can't really make a difference without God's help. As important as divine calling is and as important as personal commitment is, the reality is, is we need God's help to make a difference in this world. And we learn that from Joseph's life, right? Because Joseph clearly has a call and he's clearly committed to it. But all along the way, we read this phrase in Joseph's story, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And we've been asking the question in this series, what does it take to be the kind of person that the Lord wants to be with. 
We talk an awful lot about being with God, spending time with God, and that's really important. But there's also kind of a flip side of that question. What does it take to be the kind of person that God wants to be with, that God wants to add his help and his favor to our lives so that we can be everything that he wants us to be and do everything that he's called us to do? And we've been looking at Joseph's life, and we've kind of identified some characteristics. We've talked about unwavering integrity. Right? Joseph, he didn't give in to the temptations that came his way. He stayed the course. He didn't want to sin against God. And it takes us being those kind of people, especially in a world that's constantly shouting to us to leave God's path and go our own way. Right? Unwavering integrity. And then last week, we talked about responsible stewardship. Everything that Joseph was given to do, he did with integrity and with wisdom and with excellence. He just lived out what God was asking him to do in every circumstance, whether he was in Potiphar's house or in the prison or in Pharaoh's house. He just did what God asked him to do. He was a responsible and faithful steward. This morning, as we wrap up this series, I want to talk to you about a third characteristic that I think we see in Joseph's life, and it's the characteristic of radical hope, radical hope. We see this at every single stage in Joseph's life, right? He is a hopeful person. And I was just in a meeting this week and someone said, do you know what hope is? And I said, give me the definition. And they said, hope is expecting good from God. It's a good definition. Because God has good plans and good purposes for our lives. Plans not to harm us, but to give us a future. To work in and through our lives to bring glory to himself in this world. God has good in store for us. Doesn't mean life will always be easy or that we will never face difficulty or trials. But God has good things in store for us. And we must be people of hope, radical hope, that even when it seems like the world is coming apart at the seams, that God is still good and he has good plans that he wants to work out in and through our lives to bring glory and honor to himself. Joseph was a person of radical hope from the earliest part of his story that we read in Genesis 37 all the way till the end on his deathbed in Genesis chapter 50. In fact, let's just take a minute to kind of walk through his story and see how radical hope shows up. When Joseph was a young man just getting started, what we see in Joseph's life is this openness to God's dream for his life. Joseph believes that God has good plans and he has, he has good things for him to do. And so Joseph basically as a young man just throws his life open to God and says, God, you are free to deposit your dreams and your purposes and your plans into my life. And so God does that. God gives Joseph a dream. In fact, when you read Genesis 37, the word dream or a variation of it shows up three times in just a few verses. In Genesis 37, 5, we see that God gave Joseph a dream. And in verse 9, we see that God gave Joseph another dream. And by the time we get to verse 19, his brothers have identified him as a dreamer. Because he has opened his life to the dreams, the plans, the purposes, the visions of God. And God has deposited those in his life. 
And those dreams become the very plans of God for Joseph's days. This is the thing that's going to that's gonna drive Joseph forward. So when he gets sold into slavery, when most of us would say to ourselves, well, I tried to live for God, but it just didn't work out. Joseph says, no, God has a purpose for my life. He already told me. I'm going to just keep my eyes fixed on that and assume that this challenge, this difficulty, this hardship must be part of God's pathway to get me where he wants me to be. That's radical hope. Joseph, as a young man, was willing to let God dream his dream inside of him because he was hopeful that God could do something good in and through his life. As Joseph moves in to the middle stage of his journey, what we might call Joseph's leadership years, every single time he, he faces a twist or turn, a setback or challenge, right? He gets to Potiphar's house. He faithfully does what God's asked him to do, and he's elevated into a place of leadership and then falsely accused and thrown into prison, What does Joseph do in that moment? He just simply does what he always does. He just takes whatever is put in his hands and he stewards it really well. He works hard. He's faithful. He applies God-given wisdom and integrity and excellence to everything that he does and he's elevated again. And when he's released from prison and called to Pharaoh's palace, Pharaoh says, God's spirit is obviously on this man's life. Why? Because at every turn, Joseph's just working hard and contributing and doing the things that God has put in his hands to do. You see, in that stage of his life, he's demonstrating radical hope to say, I don't really know why God is putting me in these places. I just believe that those dreams from my youth weren't just just idealistic fantasies. They were actually God's plans and purposes, and somehow he is orchestrating the steps of my journey to put me right where he wants me to be. And so I'm just going to be faithful with what he's put in front of me to do right now. Some of you in your life, you feel like right now you're working for Pharaoh, And you think to yourself, is this really God's purpose? But what if God put you there because that's exactly the platform he needs you to be in so he can put you right where he wants you to be to fulfill his purposes through your life? Do we trust the goodness of God or not? Joseph trusted God even in the middle years of leadership when his journey was taking twists and turns and detours. He had radical hope. He was expecting the goodness of God to be fulfilled in and through his life. It's fascinating. When Joseph gets called into Pharaoh's palace, it's still not clear how God's purpose is going to be fulfilled. And he has to wait 14 years to really see the the, the fullness of that idea because there's seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and Joseph has to lead all the way through that. So it's not like once he gets to Pharaoh's palace, the dream just is fulfilled automatically. There's still time that has to be invested and all along the way he's just faithful because he has radical hope. And then what you see in Joseph's life is after his family comes and God uses Joseph to take care of his family and not just bless Egypt, but bless the entire world. 
right? This, this Hebrew boy sold into slavery gets put in exactly the right spot at exactly the right moment so the wisdom of God can be put on display for all the world to see. That's how God works. And after that, God's people come to Egypt and they begin to multiply and grow and God prospers them. I mean, life is good in Egypt for God's people. Sometimes we forget that because when we hear about God's people in Egypt, we think about what happens after Joseph dies. But the reality is, is that before Egypt was, was the, the nation that enslaved God's people, Egypt was God's deliverance for his people. And God brings his people to Egypt and they prosper and they grow and they multiply. And God is positioning them for what's next. And it's even in this stage of Joseph's journey that we see radical hope. Because Joseph, as he's coming to the end of his life, he knows death is around the corner. He doesn't just sit in his rocking chair on his front porch and think about the good old days when he was, you know, the co-warden of the prison. He doesn't think back to himself about how Pharaoh called him out of prison to interpret dreams and and just, just all of the good old days. That's not what Joseph does as an old man. You know what Joseph does as an old man? He does exactly what he did as a young man. Except instead of asking God to put dreams in his heart for himself, he asked God to put dreams in his heart for his people. Joseph comes to the end of his journey and he throws open his soul one more time and he says, God, put your dreams inside of me, but not for me because my life's coming to an end. Give me the dreams that you have for your people and use me in these last days of my life to point your people to the future that you have for them. This is a life that makes a difference. It's not a life that gets to the end and just tries to enshrine the past. It's not a life that gets to the end and just tries to institutionalize the present to keep things just like they are. A life that makes a difference gets to the end and says there's still more to do for God's glory. Let's go there. And Joseph at the end of his life is a man of radical hope. That's why at the end we read in Genesis chapter 50 verse 24, soon I will die. Joseph told his brothers, but God will surely come to help you and he will lead you out of this land of Egypt. He will bring you back to the land he solemnly promised to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Here's what you gotta know. At that moment, his brothers had to think, why would we leave Egypt? This is wonderful. We are living in the blessing of God. We've got land and space and we're multiplying and God is prospering us. Why would we ever leave here? But Joseph as an old man has been letting God dream new dreams and God reminds Joseph that Egypt is not the land that God gave to his people. God gave him, gave them the land that has been promised to them since Abraham. And Joseph said, we're not going to stop here because God wants us to go there. So even though it feels like we're living in the blessing of God, keep going to the future. 
That's what Joseph is displaying at the end of his life. He's giving radical hope so much so that he says, hey guys, I'm gonna die and I know you're gonna bury me because you're not gonna just wanna keep my body around with you everywhere you go. But guys, just don't bury me too deep because I need you to take my bones with you when you go. You see the hope in Joseph's story? He's not just proclaiming where God's people are supposed to go. He's saying, even after I'm dead, I still want to go with you. That's hope. He's telling his people, I believe in the goodness of God so much that God is going to do it. Even though you don't even see a need for God to do it, I'm telling you, God's going to do this. So take my bones with me when you go. It's radical hope. Which brings me to the point of today's message. If we want to receive God's help throughout our lives, at every stage of our journey, we've got to be people of radical hope. We have got to be people of radical hope. And so I just want to talk to three groups of people that are in this room right now. Three groups of people. And I want to talk to you about how Joseph's story applies to us. If you are in the first third of your life, I want to talk to you for a minute. That's anybody who's like early 30s or younger. Okay, in case you were trying to figure out what's a third, just just think about that kind of breakdown, okay? First third of life. If you're in the first third of life, here's what I want you to know. God has plans for your life. He has plans for your life. And they're good plans. I know that some people will look at you as young people and they will tell you that you don't know how to make a difference in this world or you're lazy or you're not willing to put in the hard work. And I just want to tell you right now, those are all lies from the pit of hell. God has called you. He's gifted you. He formed you in your mother's womb and he has plans for your life. And I want to tell you right now, your responsibility before God is to open your life wide. Say, God, plant your dreams inside of me because God's looking for a generation that he can use to change the world. He's looking for some Josephs. Give yourself to God. Open it up and just say, God, call me. Put your dreams inside of me. When, when Joel prophesied and Peter referenced this in, on the day of Pentecost when he said, when the Holy Spirit comes, your young people will have visions. Ask God to give you a vision for the future. He formed you. He created you with good works to accomplish in this world, which he prepared before you were ever even born. Let him dream those dreams inside of you. And become the generation that changes this world for God's glory. If you're in the second third of your life, that's those of you who are middle-aged. I'm with you. I'm with you. You know what our call is from the life of Joseph? Work hard. Work hard. These are the years of contribution 
These are the years where you take everything that God has taught you, the gifts and abilities that you have developed and formed in whatever career God has given you. Just take everything that you know, everything that you've learned, every skill that you've developed, and just use it for the glory of God. Work hard. Don't, don't be lazy. Don't slack off. Don't do just enough. Work with wisdom. Work with excellence. Work with integrity. Give your very best to your job. If you're a nurse, be the very best nurse on your floor. If you're a business person, then actually do business with integrity. Value people. Don't step on people or over people. Value them. Lift them up. Encourage them. Strengthen them. If you're a teacher, God bless you. You have a hard job. But do that job with God's help and God's wisdom and God's strength. Please. Please. Work hard. Make your contribution. Joseph, at every turn, he just took whatever was put in his hands. He said, okay, I'm just going to do it the very best of my ability. And I'm just going to trust God. God has good plans. He'll do whatever he wants to do as long as I am faithful. So make your contribution. And I want to talk to one more group. And if you haven't figured it out, it's those of you who are in the third third. And I'll let you figure out if you fit in that category or not. I want to talk to the old people in the room. And it's okay to be old. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be old. I want to tell you what your job is in our church. Because some of you are in the third third of life and you don't think you have a job. You feel like, is this really the church that I've given time and effort and energy to help build? doesn't maybe feel like the church that you remember it being. And I just want to say to you, it's not. We are becoming a different church. We are, we are growing into what God wants us to be. Not, not to grow back to what we used to be. We're growing into what he wants us to be for the future. But some of you are watching that happen and it's causing grief in your heart and in your soul and you think to yourself, is there a way that I can help my church go back to the past or can we at least just lock it in the way we are right now so it doesn't change anymore? And I just want to tell you, don't do that to us. My name is Chris and I'm your friend, I promise, I promise. If you're in the third third of life, don't, don't enshrine the past. Don't, don't institutionalize the present. What I want you to do in this stage of life is just open your soul to God again and say, please dream your dreams in me one more time, God. Except don't ask him to give you dreams for yourself. Ask him to give you dreams for this body of people. Because God has plans for us. God's going to use this church to glorify himself in the days ahead. People are going to come to faith in this church in the days ahead. Marriages are going to be restored in the days ahead. Families are going to be put back together again in this church. And young people are going to be called to be pastors and missionaries, and we're going to send them out. 
And we're gonna see new campuses of this church started in other places in our county and the surrounding areas. And we're gonna see this church plant new churches in America and in other parts of this world. And God is gonna use Lakeview. Let him dream those dreams inside of you. And when he gives you those dreams as an old person, do your job. And your job is to talk to the young people in our church and say, can't you see that? That's where God's taking us. Let God have your life so you can help us get there. And when you go, take my bones with you. And if you're an old person, come alongside of those of us who are in the middle of our journey and encourage us to keep working hard. Some of you have felt that you're, you're useless right now because you're tired and your body hurts and you feel like you've put in your time and I wanna let you know it's okay for you to rest. It's okay. But while you're resting, could you encourage those of us who are in the middle of the journey to just say, keep working hard. Keep working hard. We'll, we'll work hard and you just keep letting God dream dreams inside of you and you just keep encouraging and strengthening the generations coming behind. And you know what's gonna happen if that occurs? We're all gonna go to the future together. And some of you might not make it all the way to the promised land. Like Joseph, right? He died in Egypt. And yet his legacy was pointing God's people to the future that God had for them. That's your job. If you're in the third third of life, that's your job. Now, if you're someone like Dick Hart in the third third of life, you you do not understand that because you still are making a contribution, sir. You wear me out. <laughs> you are amazing. I walk into meetings and people talk about Dick Hart and the fact that he's organizing this group and pulling these people together and having these meetings. I found out about a meeting at our church and I'm like, when did we organize this? Oh, Dick Hart organized this meeting. He's got it all happening. Ministers coming from around our county. This man works hard for the Lord. You know why? Because even at his stage of life, he's saying, God, keep dreaming your dreams. There's still work to be done. Listen, that's what we're called to do. Every single one of us, whatever stage of life we're in, to be people of radical hope. Because God is not done working in this world. He has not given up on it. He's trying to redeem it and restore it through his people. And we got to give ourselves to him. We got to close this message out. You might be wondering, okay, so I want to make a difference. I'm committed to make a difference. How do I go about doing that? Let me give you four kind of action steps as we wrap up this series that I think everybody in our church ought to do so that we can, as a church, make a difference in our community and in our county. First, I wanna just encourage you to join a small group. And you say, what does that have to do with making a difference? Well, here's the reality. When you go out into this world and you start trying to make a difference for God, you're gonna need a community of people to come alongside you to encourage you 
point you back to the words of scripture so that you're being nourished in your soul to have people that you can pray with and for and to really lay out the next steps of your spiritual journey so that you can continue to grow in your faith. And so I wanna encourage you, the best place for that to happen in our church is a small group. Now, I was encouraged this morning because Pastor Jared sent me an email saying that we've had 126 people already sign up for small groups in this upcoming season, which begins today. And to give you some context, in the fall, we were in the 80s. And so we've got 40 new people signed up for groups already, and you can still sign up for a group today, and you can do that right at the kiosks in the back. Or you can go to our website to the next steps tab. And if you're not in a small group, I just want to encourage you. That is where spiritual nourishment happens in our church. If you want to be encouraged and cared for, if you want to study and read the scriptures together, if you want to pray with and for other believers, if you want to really focus on the next steps of your journey, join a small group. That's where it all happens. I want to encourage you to do that. You say, when do they meet? All different times. Just go to the Sunday morning, Sunday night, weeknights, during the daytime. You just find a group that fits your schedule and you plug in and connect with a body of believers. So I want to encourage you to join a small group. Secondly, I want to encourage you to share your faith. I want to encourage you to share your faith. The reality is every single one of us is called to make disciples. That means actually connecting with people who do not yet follow Jesus and actually helping them begin to follow Jesus. And that's not just something that pastors do or missionaries do. That is something every single person is called to do. Come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people, Jesus said. Not my words, the words of Jesus. We're all called to share our faith. Here's the thing though. A lot of us don't know how to do that. And the reason you don't know how to do it is because for a long time in the church, we made evangelism about the events and the programs and the ministries that we offer inside the church. So the only thing we're asking you to do is just get people here and the church will take care of evangelism. But here's the thing, as culture becomes more and more secular and people go farther and farther away from God in their lives, they are not actually interested in coming to church to be evangelized. Which means, if you don't tell them, they won't know. And so if the church is going to win in our culture, in our day, we have to be people who know how to share our faith. So you say, so what are you going to do about that? Are you going to teach us how to do it? Yes, we are going to teach you how to do it. On Sunday night, February 20th, we are hosting a Share Your Faith workshop, and everybody can come. It's going to be three hours long from 5 to 8 p.m. It's not for the faint of heart. And you actually will learn how to share your faith. It's not a lecture. It's a workshop. You're going to write your testimony and you're going to share your testimony multiple times so that you can get practice. And we're going to teach you how to share the gospel with others so you can lead someone across the line of faith. Everybody in our church needs to be equipped to do that. So I want to encourage you to come out on Sunday night, February 20th, from 5 to 8 p.m. for the Share Your Faith workshop. Number three, discover your calling. Some of you have heard me talk about your sweet spot, and you're like, I think I'm in a sour spot. 
Like, I do not know kind of how I'm designed, and I don't feel like I'm living out my calling in my everyday life. And so I want to just let you know that we are putting together a personal calling workshop that we're going to offer in June. And I know that sounds like it's a long way off, but we picked June because that's when some of our midweek ministries kind of settle down for the summer and there's a little more space in the church calendar because we want as many people as possible to come to this workshop. And we're actually going to walk you through how to discover your personality, your passions, your gifts, your abilities, and we're going to help you figure out what that means for what God wants you to do in this world. So we're actually going to walk with you in that journey. It's going to be the first three Wednesday nights of June. There will be a cost because we're going to provide snacks and we've got some materials that we're going to give you for that. And you'll have more information coming about that in the upcoming days. Just for now, just block the first three Wednesday nights from 6 to 8 p.m., and we're going to have a personal calling workshop. And then fourthly, uh, final action step I want to give you, invest and invite. We'll talk a little bit more about the strategy in the Share Your Faith workshop, but really it's just four simple things that we think everybody in our church ought to do. Identify the people in your life who don't know Jesus. And if you really think hard about that and you can't identify anybody, you need to get some more friends. Identify the people in your life who don't know Jesus. Secondly, intercede for those people every single day. Just take a few minutes and talk to God about your friends before you ever talk to your friends about God. Identify, intercede, and invest in them. Build relationships with them. Serve them, love them, minister to them, take care of them. And then fourthly, invite them to follow Jesus. And you can invite them to church after you've done that. Invite them to follow Jesus. Just share your story. Share the gospel with them and invite them to put their faith in Jesus. And then as they're processing through that or maybe they accept Jesus in that moment, invite them to come to church with you. Because every single Christian needs a community that they belong to. To help you with that invite part of inviting them to church, we've got some invite cards, and everybody's going to get some of these on your way out today. I just want you to keep these maybe in your bag or your purse. You can put them in your pocket when you leave the house in the morning. But when God opens the door, you can use one of these cards and just invite people to come to church and join us here at Lakeview on Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Now, we're at the end of the series. We've talked about a lot of things in this series, but at the end of the day, it all comes back to this. We are an everyday church for everyday people where we strive to follow Jesus, to live generously, and to make a difference every single day. We're at the end of 21 days of prayer. We wrapped that up yesterday morning with our prayer service. But in this service, as we close today, I'm gonna invite you to come to the altar and we're gonna close this series and this season of 21 days of prayer with a time of prayer. Some of you are gonna wanna come and you'll, you'll find a place to kneel at the altar or at the steps. Some of you maybe won't feel comfortable kneeling. You'll think, if I kneel, I I don't know if I can get back up. I've heard you say it, right? So it's okay. Just come and stand. We're not going to take a long, long time, but we are going to spend time praying for God to breathe a fresh breath of his Holy Spirit on our church so that we can make a difference for him. Some of you won't be able to kneel or stand, but you're, you're okay sitting. I would just encourage you to make your way down front and find a seat on one of these front pews so that we can together be at the front of this room crying out to our God together. So I wanna invite you to stand. Everybody stand up.
Make your way to the front and let's just go to the Lord in a season of prayer today to ask God to move among us. Just make your way to the front. Find a place to kneel. Find a place to stand. Find a place to be seated on these front pews. And we're going to just seek the Lord together. online just maybe stand right where you're at or maybe kneel where you're at and just join us in this season of prayer because we are as a church praying for God to use us to make a difference so let's unite our hearts together in faith right now God we're here this morning as your people this body of believers known as Lakeview Church And God, we look back over our 62 years of history and we are so grateful for every single thing that you've done along the way. Our our journey as a church has had twists and it's had turns, it's had setbacks and it's had valleys. It's had low points and high points, God. But all along the way, you've been faithful. You've guarded us, you've protected us, you've, you've sustained us and you've brought us to this very moment, this very season in our journey. And God, you didn't bring us here just so we could remember 62 years of history. God, you brought us here to this point because there are good things that you have in front of us to do. You have things that you want to accomplish in our lives and through our lives that will bring glory and honor to your name alone. And so, God, while we look back with gratefulness and thanksgiving at the way you have been faithful, we look ahead with radical hope today that the God who has worked is not done working yet, that the God who brought us here is the God who's taking us there. And even though we can look at the place of blessing that you have put us in, God, we believe that there is a land that you have put in front of us that you are calling us into. And God, we do not want to settle for the blessings of yesterday when there are blessings that you have for us tomorrow. So God, would you once again breathe a fresh breath of your Holy Spirit upon every single person in our church? Would you breathe a fresh breath of your Holy Spirit upon this body of believers? And would you empower us and embolden us and equip us for the days that are in front of us? Would you make us people of faith? who believe for the impossible. Would you make us people of wisdom and integrity and excellence so that what we put our hands to reflects well on the character of God? And would you make us, God, people who are anointed by the Spirit of God so that what we do is effective, not for our name and not for our sake, but for the purposes of God in this day? 
Lord, we want to see people who today in our county do not know who you are. We want to see people come to faith by the hundreds, by the thousands. Lord, we want to see a revival in our city and in our county, and we are praying for that in the name of Jesus today. And God, we want to be a part of that movement. We know it won't be us alone. God, we're asking for you to raise your church up in this day to proclaim the gospel and lead people into relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would make this church a place where marriages are put back together. Families are healed and restored. People who are held captive, people who are broken, people who are addicted, that God, they're set free, they're healed, they're made whole in the name of Jesus. God, I pray that you would do things in and through this church that only you would get the glory for. God, we are asking you to use us to make a difference. And God, for every person in our church today, Lord, I pray that you would reveal your calling to them. Their personal sweet spot and the call that you've given to every single one of us to make disciples. God, may we step into that calling in the days and months ahead like never before. And God, may we live our lives in such a way that you are pleased to be with us, pleased to help us, to pour out your favor. And God, as we live out our purpose with your help for the rest of our lives, would you use us, God, to make a difference? God, we are asking you to take this church, which isn't ours. It belongs to you. We are just asking you, God, to do whatever you want to do. You are the Lord of this church. We submit ourselves to you, and we just say, God, whatever you want us to do, wherever you want us to go, whatever you want us to say, God, we are yours. Work in us and make a difference through us. We will give you the glory and the honor and the praise, not just today, but forever. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you'd like to, you can go ahead and make your way back to...